This is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. Thanks for joining us. It's now been one week since Hurricane Ian made landfall in Lee County. While power is returning for many southwest Florida residents, hundreds of thousands of homes and businesses remain without power, especially on the barrier islands. All of Fort Myers Beach, Sanibel, Captiva, and Pine Island have no power, and there's just no way to estimate when service can be restored there. More than 36,000 LCEC customers in North Fort Myers and more than 81,000 in Cape Coral are still without power. On today's show, we're going to talk with someone from LCEC to get the latest. We also talk with someone from the town of Fort Myers Beach to get a sense of what they're facing, and we check in with Lee Health to see how its facilities fare during the storm and what services are back up and running. We also get some information about how loans through the Federal Small Business Administration work, and at the end of the show, we'll touch base with Dr. Christopher Bernier, superintendent of the school district of Lee County. If you'd like to engage with us or share any stories, photos, or videos of what you experienced during or after the storm, please do so using WGCU social media. Find us on Facebook. We're at WGCU Public Media. And then on Twitter, we're at WGCU. Use the hashtag GCL. First up, the town of Fort Myers Beach on Estero Island was completely inundated with storm surge during Hurricane Ian. Search and rescue efforts there have concluded, but the island remains off limits to anyone but relief workers. To get a sense of what they've been through on the island, I spoke earlier with Jennifer Dexter. She's public information officer for the town of Fort Myers Beach. Let's hear that conversation now. Jennifer, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us. Thank you for giving us the time. You all know we've had challenges with technology, so it's really important. We're trying to take every opportunity we can to get the message out. Great. Um, For starters, um, are search and rescue operations still underway out on the island? Yes. And they um, are scheduled to continue through Saturday. And so residents who are wondering when they might get back on the island, um, it at this point looks like Saturday, but they need to stay connected to our Facebook, our social media, and our website for updates. Because if the search and rescue still need some time, um, they might, you know, they might have to extend that. Um, I saw a story that you were quoted in and you described the town as uh, entirely uninhabitable at this point. That's accurate, right? Now, I'm not sure if we said that or the sheriff might have said that, but um, it is, there is a lot of debris. I mean, such an amount of debris that you can't even probably envision in your head. Um, Even the buildings that look like they're standing When you get up close, you can see that they've been, the walls have been busted out by the storm surge and wind and so forth, and there's not much left in them um, inside. So, you know, it's just so important. There's a lot of sand that covers the island still. Um, Estero Boulevard still has sand on it. I mean, the, the rescue crews have been able to clear enough, you know, for a path, but it's like a a car and a half path. And there are emergency crews from all over the nation here with the latest technology, um, doing search and rescue, basically property by property. And they're having to sift through debris and, you know, deal with the challenges of just getting around. That's kind of the picture here. Are there still people out there who are trying to get out? 
if there, I just, if there are, I mean, I had to see in the last day or two if there still are. Um, need to do is go to Estero Boulevard from whatever point is closest to them on Estero Boulevard with their belongings. They can bring pets and they can um, wait for a Lee County Sheriff's Office vehicle or a National Guard vehicle and they will pick them up and take them to the bridge and Lee Tran will um, take them from there to a shelter go to a shelter or have other arrangements, they'll take them to the location where they have other. Um, do you have an estimate of how many people did stay on the island during the storm? You know, I don't really. I mean, I don't have a good number for that at all. No worries at all. Um, uh, I, I hate to have to ask, but do you have a number in terms of how many people may have been killed by Hurricane Ian on the Estero Island? No, and the sheriff I know has been indicating that he's not fully, you know, there's not been a full evaluation yet to be able to say. Um, I know last night I heard him say it was over 100. Um, um, in, leak, in, in, but, in the storm entirely, but not just... Uh, in, uh, yes, right. not just on Fort Myers Beach. Understood. Yeah. Okay, yeah, um, and I, I don't want to put you on the spot if you don't have any numbers. Yeah, we don't have a breakdown for that at all. No, wor- no worries. Um, uh, do you guys have an estimate for how high the storm surge uh, reached? I saw a video that seemed to show, you know, well over 10 feet anyway. Um, I know that a lot of first floors were covered. That's, I don't know... You know, I don't have a 10 or 12 or 18 number to give you. Understood. That would be, you know, accurate. I just know that a lot of first floors were covered with water. Um, do you have a sense of whether any of the really older cottages or buildings that house businesses are still standing? Uh, or, or is it mostly the newer construction that is still there even though it's flooded? You know, um, I don't have a good sense for that either because I've just, come to my spot where I'm supposed to be and not ventured out beyond that. Understood. Um, I know there's some mobile home parks out on uh, Estero Island. Um, uh, I, did they Were they wiped out entirely? You know, I can't say for sure again because I have not seen through the whole um, island. Okay. And our staff, you know, have not been able to get out either and do what they would normally do. We have to wait for the search and rescue crews to do their thing. Um, Is the electrical system completely, you know, is it going to have to be rebuilt entirely, do you know? You know, that's a question for um, SPNL. Gotcha. Um, Do you have any sense of whether there's any water out there at all, or is the water system completely down too? Um, Yeah, there's no power, there's no water. Um, I read that uh, four of the town council members' homes were destroyed. Is that accurate that you yes. under, that you know? And the town manager lost his home in a fire hmm. during the storm. Or... Wow! So by a fire. Yes. Um, and so you kind of already alluded to this, but people are not being allowed to go to the island, whether it be by foot or by boat, at this point, right? No, they're not allowed to walk. There's no vehicles over. The bridge. Gotcha. And, except for emergency And I suppose by boat they might not want people to go, but they don't necessarily have people surrounding the island, so that's kind of a gray area maybe? 
it's a gray area. I don't know about boat at all. Um, I there's a food. Um, oh, go ahead. You know, I just I guess I want people to understand um, the question of the island. Like when I say there's no power, there's no water. I mean, I don't. I think people think under, you know, like condition. But we're talking about debris piles that are just, you know, unfathomable. And an Estero Boulevard that does not look anything like anybody remembers from pictures or visits here. So, you know, the reason that we're having to be this tight with it, and I know it's frustrating for people, is because of that and because our emergency operations have got to get this search and rescue and recovery done. So... Do you have any idea? I wanted to say that. Oh, no, I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, there's some historic buildings out there, like the Davison Cottage. Do you have any idea how it fared? I don't. I mean, I think if, if you search on Facebook, there may be some official notices from organizations, other organizations that, you know, have those, oversee those buildings. But Understood. Um, any idea about the elementary school out there? I think that's a question for Lee County, the Lee County Superintendent's Office. Okay. I am trying to get him on the show uh, at some point this week, too, Dr. Bernier, so we'll ask him that. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I, grew, I, I know this is really early, but, you know, I grew up um, – uh, going to the beach, so I know it very well. It's got a, you know, it's got its own charm. You know, do you have any sense of whether, you know, yes. what what's the long term outlook for you guys right now? I mean, again, you know, we are so much in the day to day basic life, health, safety um, needs, and getting those building blocks in place. So, um, the long term outlook, I'm sure that. The council will organize, and they, I know everyone's looking very much forward to the point where we can start thinking about what the plans are for rebuilding. Right, but that's that's over the horizon still. Um, uh, any, any final yeah. any final? Thought? I mean, there's a lot of talk about it. I'm not I'm not going to tell you that nobody's thinking. Hopefully, um, everybody's thinking with hope, great hope, uh-huh. um, about what the future plans can be. But we just very much are in these still you know, trying to recover and get building, building blocks in place to start getting organization around the town again. And I understand. Um, and I know you're busy, so I don't want to take up any more of your time, but do you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave us and our listeners with about the beach and about what you all have been through? You know, I just, um, we appreciate so much all the nice thoughts and comments that we're getting Um there's just people coming in from or calling us and contacting us from all over the world. And you know how hard it's been to get through on phone or cell or text or internet or email or anything. So um, we just really appreciate all the help that's coming our way. And um, we're looking forward to the day when we can walk on the beach again and watch the sun rise and the sunset. Um, All right. Jennifer Dexter is public information officer for the town of Fort Myers Beach. Jennifer, thank you so much for helping us to understand what you all are going through. Thank you. And, you know, one thing I didn't mention is the emergency crews that are here. I mean, they just poured in from all over the country and they're just just every day working sun up to sundown and even into the night sometimes to 
do what they need to do to make sure we can start getting, you know, back on our feet. So we're just so grateful to all of them, too. All right. Well, thank you very much. And uh, maybe we'll check back with in with you as things develop. Okay. Thank you. Next up, I spoke about an hour and a half ago with Karen Ryan. She's Public Relations Director for LCEC to get the latest on their restoration efforts and what the timeline looks like for restoration to Cape Coral and North Fort Myers in particular. Let's hear that now. Karen, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me again. So uh, for starters, can you just give us the sen- a sense of the scope of your operations at this point, like how many line workers you've got working, tree trimmers? You know, What's the overall scope here in southwest Florida? Today, we have 2,000 crews right here in Southwest Florida, and they're working on uh, rebuilding the infrastructure in the hardest-hit areas like Cape Coral, North Fort Myers. Um, We have a lot of our service territory restored, but there are still some areas, predominantly those two, that have um, quite a few customers out of power still. So, yeah, I saw the latest update you sent this morning has something like uh, 80,000-plus customers in Cape Coral without power and then about – um, looks like about thirty-five or 36,000 in North Fort Myers. What are the main challenges that are happening in those two communities from uh, the LCEC perspective? Well, they're a little bit different in each community. In Cape Coral, Cape Coral received the brunt of, of the um, destruction from, from the hurricane. And so there's a lot of infrastructure that needs to be rebuilt before we can start bringing the power into neighborhoods and business areas. The other challenge with Cape Coral is because it was hit so hard, the city of Cape Coral requested that we hold off with the restoration for a couple days while they had their search and rescue mission. So restoration in those areas, in that area, did not start at the same time that we started restoration in the rest of our service territories. And it was, it, it was a smart move on their, their part, although you know customers without power may not think so. But really, it was for the safety of citizens to make sure that everything was safe out there and that they were able to assist anybody that needed help um, and also, you know, find out if anybody was hurt badly. Have search and rescue operations concluded there so your crews can go wherever they need to go? Oh, yes. They were able to complete that. And, um, you know, we talked to them right after the storm passed. And they said they only needed till Saturday. And again, I say only when you're without power, you're, you think, wow, you didn't start till Saturday. But they said that they would complete search and rescue by Saturday at 7 a.m. And our crews could get there out and start restoration. And they, they stuck to their plan. So did we. Um, when you say you have to rebuild infrastructure out there, can you explain what that means in sort of uh, layman's terms for radio listeners? Yes, I actually had a lineman explain it to me yesterday, and I thought it was a good analogy. He said, you know, if you cut your finger and it's bleeding, you you want to take care of your finger, but really you need to go to the heart. You need to make sure that the heart is working first, and then you need to make sure the arteries are, are in good shape, and then you can take care of the finger. So the electric grid is very much like that. You have to start at the source of where the power starts and make sure that infrastructure is is um, the integrity is maintained. We were very fortunate, so we were able to assess the damage and all of our substations were operational, but then that meant that we had to work on the main artery, and some of those sustained a lot of damage in Cape Coral. There are um, places, Burnt Store is a perfect example, 
where there's was 20, 30 poles down. So those poles have to be repaired or replaced before we can get the power into the neighborhoods in those areas. Um, I understand you have some crews coming in from Duke Energy that are going to be helping. Can you talk about what they're going to be doing and when they'll arrive? Yes, we do. Um, the governor has been gracious enough to assist us. And along with the crews that we had before the storm, we have been able to secure additional crews within that 2,000 that I mentioned. But we also have some crews from Duke that will be here on Thursday. They're going to start uh, or finish, hopefully, um, with the restoration of Cape Coral. They'll be assisting us. And then right after that, uh, those customers are restored, we're going to send them directly either to Pine Island or Sanibel Island, whichever one is the easiest to access at that time. We'll send those Duke crews over there, and they will work on the infrastructure in those areas. As I understand it, they will be able to relatively easily get to Pine Island at this point, but what is the status of being able to get crews to Sanibel? I know last time we talked to you, they were still trying to secure barges that could move your equipment. Is that process moving? That process is moving along. Um, It is not without challenges, I will say, both on Pine Island and on Sanibel. Fortunately, I think you're right, Pine Island is maybe a little bit easier but it's not just um, trucks, it's equipment. It's, the difficulty is getting that barge up to the island. So we can put everything on the barge, but if we can't land the barge, there's no way to get that equipment over you know, to the island. But we're not the only ones that are going to be working on that. So we'll work with our local um, emergency management officials because they're also going to want to be getting out to the island to do things And then people restoring their homes and businesses there, they're also going to need to get equipment. So it definitely will be a a community effort to get get that solution. And, And I'm feeling confident that something will be worked out. So what are you telling customers right now? Um, uh, you know, let's, let's leave Cape Coral and North Fort Myers out of the equation for now and the barrier islands as well. So customers of yours that are not in those areas, what, is, you know, what does the timeline look like for them for restoration for people who can you know, safely accept power? I'm so glad that you asked that, Mike, because I know there's a lot of focus on um, certain areas right now. We don't want our customers in areas like Immokalee and Lehigh Acres and um, Marco Island to think that we forgot about them. We do know that they are there, and we, we still have our crews that have been assigned to those areas, and we will continue there until all of those customers are restored. We won't take our crews away from those areas and deploy them to other places until everybody there has power. So what does the timeline look like then? Oh, the timeline for those areas right now is scheduled um, 95%, and that means those are the customers that, sa- are, that can safely receive power. The timeline for that is Saturday, October 8th. And does that include Cape Coral and North Fort Myers, or are they on a different schedule? They are actually on that same schedule. Hmm. Now that we have all the, all the crews that we need, um, that, is our, that is our estimate. And I, I say the word estimate very loudly and proudly. It is just an estimate. Unfortunately, when you're restoring power, there's no way to know what obstacles you might face. 
And so according to our plan, and we, we've always had a very, very solid plan with hurricane restoration. I know it doesn't seem like that when you're without power, and we understand that. But our estimate, and with the number of crews that we have working out there, we believe that we, we will be able to make that timeline. We're going to keep striving for it. Okay, that is pretty much all the time we have, unless you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave us and our listeners with. I would just ask that customers be patient. We have all of those crews and 400 LCC employees that are dedicated to getting the power on. Many of them have lost their homes. They've been working long hours around the clock with no no time off. And just be patient with them and understand we're all in this together. We're a community and we need to stay strong. All right. Karen Ryan is Public Relations Director for LCEC. Karen, thank you so much for your help and stay safe and we'll talk to you again. Thank you very much, Mike. Karen Moore is publisher of Southwest Florida Business Today newspapers, and she provides weekly business updates on the business community for WGCU. She sat down earlier today with Julie Garrett of the U.S. Small Business Administration to talk about relief for businesses and homeowners through the SBA and FEMA. As Southwest Florida begins the Hurricane Ian recovery process, there are both personal and business financial assistance programs available. Julie Garrett, Public Affairs Specialist with the Atlanta Office of the Small Business Administration, joins me in the WGCU studio today to address some frequently asked questions. So, Julie, you and I talked about this the other day. Who does FEMA serve? So in a disaster like this, in a major disaster in the declared counties, FEMA is going to assist homeowners and renters, and SBA is going to assist homeowners and renters and small businesses and large businesses and um, private nonprofit organizations. FEMA does grants and we do um, disaster loans. Two different things. And FEMA also offers, uh, yeah, offers the grants where SBA does the loans. How, How do people apply for FEMA assistance? Do you have the information on that or strictly SBA? So you can apply for FEMA online at disasterassistance.gov, disasterassistance.gov, or you can download FEMA's mobile app and apply with the app, or you can go in person to a FEMA recovery center and apply, and somebody will help you um, input your information, or you can call for FEMA 800-621-3362, 800-621-3362. And what about for the SBA assistance? So SBA assistance, um, you can apply again online at sba.gov disaster. That will lead you to the application. You can come into a business recovery center or any FEMA disaster recovery center and apply. Or you can request or download a paper application and use that to apply and drop that off at a center or mail it in. When you're doing that online, I just want to make sure for the SBA loans, is there a specific link place they have to go to on that SBA page? Like, is it identified Hurricane Ian assistance? When you, if you go to sba.gov disaster and scroll down the page, there'll be a photo of a road getting covered with water, and it will say apply. Okay. And if you click that, it'll take you and show you what you need. So. Uh, okay, great. Yeah. Can you share with us the designated counties? Because I know those have been changing for both FEMA assistance. Uh, maybe start with FEMA assistance. So FEMA and SBA 
assistants are available in Charlotte, Collier, DeSoto, Flagler, Hardy, Highland, Hillsborough, Lake, Lee, Manatee, Orange, Osceola, Pinellas, Polk, Putnam, St. John, Sarasota, Seminole, and Volusia counties. So in those counties, you can get FEMA individual assistance and SBA offers all of our disaster loans. And then in the contiguous counties, the counties adjacent to those counties, SBA offers working capital loans to small businesses and nonprofits. So in those adjacent counties, there is not FEMA assistance. There's limited SBA assistance in those other counties. And SBA work together. Well, we do work together on a major disaster like this. A lot of times um, people will apply to FEMA and FEMA will say, hey, we want you to go to SBA and apply for a disaster loan. And this really upsets people because they think, I'm not a business. Why is FEMA asking me to do this? I can't afford a loan. I just want a FEMA grant. What's up? Well, it's just part of the FEMA process. So you come to SBA and you apply, and then there is no obligation to accept disaster loan. And if your loan application isn't approved, we send you back to FEMA for potential additional grant consideration. But if FEMA tells you to apply to SBA and you don't, then you don't continue through the FEMA process. So it's very important if FEMA says apply to SBA to go ahead and do that. That is a really good clarification to make. I, I remember that. I remember having to start the FEMA thing when I was applying. And I'm like, this, this isn't FEMA. I don't get it. I'm trying to get an SBA loan, but I have to go through the FEMA application process and start a di- two different accounts. So like you said, with Hurricane Brain, uh, that your brain is saying, wait a second, I'm confused here. So it, it was very good yeah. that you shared that explanation as to how the two work together. Yeah, and one other thing, guys, there is a FEMA locator tool, a a disaster recovery center locator tool on FEMA's website. If somebody just Googles FEMA disaster locator tool, it will come up. That is so helpful. It will show you where all the centers are, how far they are from your home, uh, their hours, et cetera. And at at the disaster recovery centers, there's SBA, there's FEMA, and a lot of times there could be Red Cross or there will be, you know, insurance people. Like it's it's like a one-stop disaster recovery center. It's great. So people really need to get into disaster recovery center. Good. You and I were talking about this the other day, Julie. Uh, When will in-person FEMA centers be set up and then the SBA centers? Well, I have really good news for you because we're opening a center today in Lee County. It's opening in Bonita Springs at 10 a.m. And it's going to be located at the hub at SWFL, 25071 Chamber of Commerce Drive. Yes, it's going to be at Southwest Florida Incorporated, which used to be the Bonita Springs Chamber of Commerce, so that our local audience knows who that is. Thank you. That's a great location. Uh, Yeah, it will be open seven days a week, nine to five. So if you are working, you can go in on a Sunday or Saturday and apply. But it will be open seven days a week. Okay. And then we're opening another center tomorrow, and that one is going to be in Collier County in Naples. And it's going to be at the Naples Players. It's opening at 11 a.m. The address for that is 701 Fifth Avenue South. Um, That center is going to be open um, Tuesday to Sunday, nine to five. and Monday hours are 9 to 4.30.
So it's open seven days a week as well. It just closes a half an hour early on Mondays. We're going to be identifying everything we can that can help businesses so that when they come into Business Recovery Center, they will apply to SBA, but also we'll have other information for them. The SBDC in your area, they can help with counseling for businesses. After a disaster like this, you can develop disaster brain from the stress. It can just be very hard to concentrate and having somebody to talk to who's outside of your business, who you can run the financials by, who um, maybe isn't a family member and can help you see clearly that is a really good thing. So we just want you to know that we're here for you and that we're going to be here for a long time to support you and to help you with your recovery. That's so important for everyone to know right now. Can you share some of the requirements for the uh, to qualify for the loans uh, or what kind of damage is going to make you eligible? Oh, for- so SBA offers several types of loans. So you can apply for a physical disaster loan if you had damage to your actual physical property. So that's for homeowners and renters. So renters might have lost their personal property, like their cars, their things in their apartment. They can apply for up to $40,000 to replace or repair those items. Homeowners can apply for up to $200,000 to make repairs. Businesses can apply for up to $2 million. And that includes making physical repairs, replacing inventory, fixtures, that kind of thing. Even if they're a leaseholder and they don't own their property, they can apply for a physical disaster loan. And then we also look at businesses for working capital. What do you need to keep the doors open and to stay in business until things get back to normal? So altogether, that is up to $2 million for business owners. For individuals and business owners, there is no collateral required for up to $25,000. It's treated like a credit card. You know, you just apply. You don't have to to, um, put a note on your house or anything. But if you um, borrow more than that, we do ask for collateral if it's available. Okay, that's good to to know because I had applied for the EIDL loan for COVID-19. And I think it was the same requirements. And that's what I wanted to find out because I could get that first 25,000. And it was just a phone call and some basic paperwork. And the automatic deposit was in my account within a week or something like that. It was very quick. Is is that about yeah. the same uh, the same setup? You're trying to do the same kind of thing? It's a little bit different with a regular disaster loan. COVID-19 um, idols were, you know, kind of an emergency nationwide. Ah. It's a little more involved to apply for a regular disaster loan. There's more paperwork and it will take longer than that. And by the way, you can also get up to 25000 for um, working capital without collateral. So really a business can get up to 50000 without collateral if you're applying under both programs. Okay, great. Thank you for that clarification. In the past, the SBDC organizations like the Small Business Development Center and uh, SCORE uh, were available, made people available to applicants to help them fill out their applications. Do you think uh, you guys will be partnering in that way again with those organizations to help the business owner fill out these applications? Absolutely. And the business owners can also go to the business recovery centers 
where we have SBA staff who will work one-on-one -on -one with you. And they're very experienced in business applications. So you can also go to the BRCs that we talked about earlier, um, the one in Bonita Springs and the other one in Naples, and get one-on-one -on -one assistance from SBA. I'm glad you clarified that as well. I applied for a loan with Hurricane Irma and that disaster loan, and I was able to go to the center, and the people were so helpful, and they were very, like you said, very educated, very helpful, and made it as easy for me as possible. So uh, I'm glad that you pointed out we have those centers that people can go to and get that assistance. Yeah, and and the people working there really want you to get your loan, and they're going to help you with your application and writing up any additional information to make the strongest case possible for you to receive that loan. Great. Another question that, just for clarification, are current SBA loan holders eligible for Hurricane Ian loans? Yes, absolutely. The SBA looks at every disaster as a separate event. There is no limit to how many disaster loans you can apply for. And if you have a COVID-19 EIDL loan, you can also apply. And will uh, current SBA loan holder payments be deferred, Julie? I recommend you contact your servicing center and ask them about that. To my knowledge, I haven't heard that that is going to happen, but you are welcome to call and ask your, your servicing provider. Yes. Okay. That's good for our listeners to know because, again, we've been hit with disasters here before, so there might be um, a number of businesses that have other loans and uh, will want to know about how those payments are going to play out. So we'll yeah we'll refer yeah, them to that. Common, a common um, question people have is whether their disaster loans can be combined into one payment. And unfortunately, legally, we cannot do that. That's not an option for SBA. So if you do get a loan for Hurricane Ian, it's going to be a separate additional payment. Are you aware of any business grant programs out there available to businesses impacted by Ian, Julie? I don't know of anything yet because it's so early, but hopefully there will be some things like that. But I did identify two websites I think your listeners will want to check out. One is Enterprise Florida's disaster assistance page. Um, go to Enterprise Florida and look for their disaster assistance page. The other one is the DEO is updating their uh, floridadisaster.biz website with real-time information. So those two um, websites have additional resources available, more grassroots stuff, direct um, businesses helping, that kind of thing. So check that out. Thank you for pointing that out. That's right, because the governor yesterday uh, started a program that's releasing funds to local businesses for assistance through the state of Florida. So that is going to be one of those programs that gives business owners additional assistance. And uh, Oh, that's excellent. Yes. So we'll get that information out to our listeners as well. Do you know at this point – and again, I know it's early. If there will be any forgivable loan programs offered like the PPP program that COVID-19 generated, I don't know if that was an, a rare exception because of the nature of that disaster. That was a rare exception. So by law, SBA's normal disaster loans are not forgivable. Okay. Anything else that you would like to share with our audience today? Yeah, we have um, a program that provides funds for mitigation. So if you had 
physical damages and you're a homeowner or a business owner, you can add up to 20% of your verified losses to your disaster loan to make your place, to build back stronger, to make your place better withstand the next hurricane. Okay. So you definitely want to look into that because it's at the very low interest rates of the disaster loans. It's a really good opportunity. So for home home loans, the interest rate is as low as 2.188%. Business loans are as low as 3.04%. And for nonprofit organizations, all loans are at 1.875%. Yeah, and terms are up to 30 years, by the way, to make the payments as reasonable as possible. This is such vital information for our local business owners as we continue to work our way through the Hurricane Ian disaster. I so appreciate you spending time with us and sharing that information today, Julie. Thank you again. Thank you for having me. That was Karen Moore, publisher of Southwest Florida Business Today, talking with Julie Garrett from the U.S. Small Business Administration. Schools across Southwest Florida took serious damage from Hurricane Ian, especially those in the school district of Lee County. I checked in about an hour ago with its superintendent, Dr. Christopher Bernier. Dr. Christopher Bernier is superintendent of the school district of Lee County. Dr. Bernier, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us today. Oh, thank you for taking the time to speak with me. Uh, so many of our families are still without power and access to cable television. So, you know, radio is the new medium, and it's a great way to communicate with our families and our staff and our teachers. Well, we appreciate you taking the time. So give us just a sense of the overview of school damage um, here in Lee County. Well, we have our building ins- now. We have our official building inspectors on the ground. But I would say that around numbers, we have about 43 buildings that we believe had a very low impact from the storm. That number is growing um, as we get into buildings with our official certified building inspectors. Um, we had uh, approximately 39 that were impacted at a medium level, which ranges from you know minor damage debris, other things, to what could be major damage. And again, we need that trained professional eye. And then finally, we're working on about 14 sites that we consider high-impact schools, um, which include, in, include those schools out on the barrier islands. Um, uh, what is the status of the schools on the barrier islands, like um, like the elementary school on Fort Myers Beach? We talked to somebody from the beach earlier, and she didn't know what the status was. Well, the good news is the building still is standing, but it took a storm surge of plus eight feet. Um, I've seen some of the settlement lines. I, you know, I'm not an expert on storm surge, but in some points of the building, I believe the building may have been totally submerged. Um, so there's significant water damage. Um, and, and significant significant damage to walls and, and, and to um, the furnishings and the materials and the educational materials inside. Uh, Sanibel, uh, strong as well in its building and its, in its roof and, and walls are still standing, but again, significant storm surge that went through, you know, and, and you know, water is unforgiving. It, it always will find its own place and find its own level and, it is, you know, over time that water will continue to just continue to do damage until we can get into those buildings and begin to dry them out if we can, even if we can get into them. Uh, Pine Island's actually a, a pretty positive story. We're very lucky to have a gentleman out on the island shortly after the storm uh, who rode it out there with his family. And he was able to, as he's an employee, he was able to key in safely. Um, and we're finding that there's been limited impact to Pine Island. Uh, so we're hopeful that if we can get power and water restored out there, 
and then find a way to get our faculty and principal uh, across the water to the school building. We, we feel that that one um, we can reopen. Wow. Um, do you have any sense of a timeline for district-wide reopening at this point? District-wide reopening is a very strong and very open term. I mean, this is a transitional and developmental process. Um, you know, it, it's very fluid. Plans change daily. I will tell you that yesterday we stood up a couple of schools, got the power turned back on, only to find out that we had uh, severe damage to electrical panels and HVAC systems. So that system went from that that school building went from a low a low impact to a medium. We are mobilizing teams. I think the answer is a strongly answer your question. I've charged my team with giving me an operational recommendation uh, by Thursday that to make some determinations about our operation forward into next week. Um, can you see a scenario where some schools open, some schools don't, so you're maybe moving students around or something like that? I, I think that's a very legitimate process. We talk about a tiered system where we use the school buildings that we currently have that we know can open, um, and then we uh, develop some type of gap process so that we can ensure that um, – those individuals who are without school buildings or without the ability currently to get into their school buildings because of repairs, um, that we have another plan of operation for those young people to return to school as quickly as possible, as well as their teachers and support professionals. Do you have a sense of uh, how staff, you know, you know, your staffing levels, how have people done who work for the school district? We have a, we have we, we, we are getting a, a greater and larger picture. Uh, let's keep in mind that there's three really important things I believe that we have to consider as we as we plan this reopening. The first is safety. We have to ensure that our our our, our families, our, our our students, our support professionals, and teachers and administrators have safe environments to return to. Um, and to your point about whether staff and other people are ready, that's the sensitivity piece. We also have to be sensitive to the needs of our families and the needs of our staff. Um, and we have to balance that against the effective need to reopen. As you'll remember, just using this year's senior class, this is the group that lost their freshman and part of their sophomore year. And we were on such a start. We were, we were really moving in all the right directions this year, uh, reopening our schools and bringing parents and volunteers back in. And Ian gave us something new to um, overcome. So we will work forward, um, and we continue to um, work with our staff. If I could get the word out that there is a check-in survey that's out, the 211 lines are open um, from United Way to help support those individuals. Um, if they don't have connectivity, to fill out that, fill out that survey and give them the opportunity to um, check in with us and let us know exactly what their status is. Have you had a chance to distribute any kind of you know um, bridge learning programs for students who have been out or at this point is it just focusing on rebuilding and then that'll come later sorry you'll have to repeat the question i'd lost you between uh my phone and a, and a bluetooth setting so can you repeat the question for yeah me? no worries um have you been able to distribute any kind of bridge learning for students that will keep them occupied and somewhat on track while they are out 
we have not yet moved to that process. No, instead, in certain radio and in television interviews, what I'm encouraging parents to do, depending on the age of their children, if you have established a daily reading time for your child where you read to them during the day and at night, please continue to do that. If you haven't established that time or you didn't have that as a habit in your family, now is the time to try to make one. You can read if you have connectivity from the Internet or you can tell a story the way many of us grew up with our parents telling us stories uh, of their childhood or just engaging them and engaging their brains. As, as children get older into the primary and into the secondary level of elementary school, times tables, working on reading, having them read to you, uh, playing games. You know, we took many travels as a family where we played games with the alphabet. So let's name every animal that begins with A. Um, and, and we would exhaust that list, and then we'd go ahead and take that same game and turn it into let's do animals, but you start with A, and you say aardvark, now that leaves me with a K, so I have to come up with kangaroo, and somebody comes up with ostrich, that leads to H, which is a hippopotamus. Those are all very engaging things that we can help our children learn and do. As we get into the older ages, helping children estimate what the grocery bill will be when you go to Publix or to another shopping center to get, to get food, understanding how much water we might need in order to, to ensure our family has enough hydration. You know, there's just, there's countless opportunities, but I would encourage all parents, if at all possible, to have children journal. I think journaling right now and writing down their thoughts is incredibly important to not only their educational experience, but beginning to work on that mental health side of helping children begin to process what's going on and then having some discussions about what children are writing about. In the meantime, this district is hard at work to bring our school children back that we can. And when we do that, we will have to bridge with the students whose buildings are not yet ready. Uh, last question. I don't think you were, uh, or I know rather that you weren't here during the early days of the pandemic, but Lee County spun up some new systems that they honed over time. Are any of those remote learning systems going to be implemented as we try to recover? Well, I'll share with you once again, it is a um, transitional and developmental process. We are not taking anything off the table, but my goal is, you know, a computer and virtual type environments are like textbooks. They are a tool the teachers use to teach. And the real art and form of our support professionals and our teachers is in that face-to-face interaction with young people. Our goal is to find ways that are non-traditional to get our children back in front of their teachers with the tools that are necessary to learn. And we lost, you know, we've lost instructional materials, we've lost textbooks, we've lost teacher materials because of roofs being lost in rain or storm surge. But we have ways to come back, but there's nothing like that face-to-face interaction, and that's going to be our, our, our first priority, to do that as much as possible as we reopen the schools. All right, last question, just to reiterate. So at this point, there is no tentative timeline for reopening. Everything's still just developing, and we'll just have to wait and see. Um, there is an operational decision to be made on Thursday. Um, and we will be in touch with the community and our, our faculties and our support professionals and all of our employees to ensure that um, they're aware and they know not only when the reopening will occur, but why if it's postponed or why it's happening if it's actually going to come to fruition. I think it's really important not just to give people the, the date, but to also give them the why. Um, again, it's about... Um, safety, sensitivity, and an effective reopening. All right. Well, that is Dr. Christopher Bernier. He is superintendent of the School District of Lee County. Dr. Bernier, thank you so much for taking a few minutes to talk with us. Well, thank you very much, sir. I appreciate it. And again, if you need me for anything, 
please go ahead and please get back in touch. I think this is critically important to our community to understand um, the gravity of the situation, the complexity of it. And um, I just hope everyone will continue to stay safe out there. And, and, and we look forward to, to getting back to normal as quickly as possible. That was Dr. Christopher Bernier. He's superintendent of the school district of Lee County. And finally, we're going to check in with Lee Health. It's the largest health care provider in southwest Florida and the largest employer in Lee County to see how its hospitals and outpatient facilities fared during the storm and how it's doing bringing everything back online. I spoke with Dr. Scott Nygaard. He is Lee Health's chief operating officer. Dr. Nygaard, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us. Great. Glad to join you today, Michael. Uh, for starters, just give us sort of a sense of, you know, how Lee Health hospitals and facilities fared during the storm. So during the storm, uh, all of our facilities ended up on uh, emergency backup generator power, um, but uh, minimal damage to any of our facilities. Um, the biggest problem after the storm was really uh, water uh, from the various uh, utilities that challenged us to get back online. Um, uh, before we get to your water issues then and how they've developed since, um, I did see a lot of flooding out at Health Park. Was that sort of, I know, I don't think it really impacted the building itself, but was that accurate what I saw? Yeah, you saw pictures where we had flooding in the parking lot. We never had water intrusion into our hospital, um, but we did have a number of our employees who lost vehicles in the parking lot at Health Park Medical Center. Okay, great, because that, yeah, that characterizes it, because I had some people telling me that, you know, Health Park flooded and it was the parking lot. Um, so what is the situation with water? I know countywide we've had issues. You know, how does Lee Health deal with that, you know, first, you know, shortly after the storm and how has it played out? Yeah, so shortly after the storm, I mean, we really had to do an assessment and determine whether, the, you know, the respective utilities were going to be able to bring water back online. And if not, um, the biggest challenge we have from a life safety perspective, which is always important, is pressurizing um, our fire lines so we can have fire suppression. Um, we work closely with uh, the Agency for Healthcare. Uh, to try to make sure our hospitals are safe. And so in some cases, we had to bring in tankers uh, to bring in potable water while we were waiting for the local utilities to restore water pressure. Um, and then the water pressure has to reach a certain level for us to have adequate um, fire suppression. So we had good coordination with uh, regulatory agencies uh, in terms of uh, coming up with a process to have both what we call a fire watch, where somebody's actually on site and uh, actively surveying for any uh, issues related to fire. And then we also had uh, fire trucks available on site while we were waiting for the water to be restored. Um, as I understand it, we're still on a boil water notice across Lee County. Um, how do you have, as a health, you know, how does a hospital deal with that? Do you have your own source of pure water or do you have a system that can purify the water? How does that work? Yeah, so we do have systems that can purify the water once it's um, delivered, um, filtering mechanisms like reverse osmosis and other sanitation um, mechanisms. Um, so we were able to, once water was restored, um, after we were able to check for a couple of days and just make sure that the water was safe, reestablish uh, water for medical practice, which includes things like sterilization of instruments, uh, dialysis, which needs very pure water, um, so we did have systems that we were able to get back up. Do you have a sense of how many people, you know, showed up at emergency rooms uh, or hospitals because they were, you know, harmed by the storm or in the wake of the storm? I don't have an exact number, but all of our emergency rooms uh, remained open the entire time. Um, and we did have to on a couple of facilities where we didn't have adequate uh, water initially at Gulf Coast Medical Center and Health Park Medical Center 
uh, were in an evacuation process for a period of time. Uh, we emptied Alagalasano Children's Hospital at one point, uh, but all those facilities are now back online and receiving patients uh, for inpatient care. What does the um, outpatient uh, network look like for Lee Health across the area in terms of like, you know, going to places that aren't the hospitals? Yeah, our outpatient clinics, the vast majority of them are open. We did lose a couple clinics, uh, one on Sanibel, one in the Dunbar neighborhood, um, and one in Charlotte County. Um, but if you look on our uh, website, leehealth.org, the current openings of all outpatient facilities are available on the front web page and are updated uh, daily. But the vast majority of them are open. Okay, and we'll have that linked on our website as well, wgcu.org slash gcl. Um, I understand Lee Telehealth is free right now. Can you explain what that is and how people can access it? Yeah, if you have the ability to make a connection, you can look at leetelehealth.org um, and uh, schedule a virtual visit. Um, we've offered that at multiple times throughout the COVID uh, crisis, and we're offering it again um, during Hurricane Ian relief. Um, and it's a free service uh, where you can connect with a clinician to get uh, evaluation for some basic medical problems. Obviously, connectivity is the biggest challenge, but uh, we encourage you to do that if you're you know, concern is simple. Um, pharmacies and things are open as well, so we can prescribe medications and get other testing is as that, well for you. Is that a thing that can be done by phone, or is that, you know, you have to have an internet connection? Yeah. No, it can be done by phone, as long as you have the ability to connect by phone and, uh, you know, get on a Wi-Fi type device, you should be able to connect. Do you happen to have a, a phone number that people can call, or I can link it afterwards if you don't? Uh, I don't have that handy right this moment. Okay, no worries. Um, I can uh, get it for you. This is Megan. I'll yeah. send it to you after this call. Okay, send it to me after the call, and we'll we'll I'll put it in the out queue of the put it of, in. of the segment. Yeah. Um, are there ways that people who don't work for you can help you right now? Uh, so we've had people who have brought in food and those type of things for our, our staff. Um, that's always appreciated and helpful. Uh, simple things like uh, we had water, clothing for a number of our staff. We have staff like other people who simply are without, you know, who've lost cars, lost homes, um, but have been working um, throughout the crisis. So we're trying to get an assessment of what do they really need and trying to organize uh an effort to try to provide them the things that they need to continue to function. Um, there's also our foundation is accepting uh, financial don donations as well. Um, how are staffing levels? Did you have enough staff members who aren't able to come in that it's in any way impacting your ability to do your work? Um, continue to reassess that day by day. Um, we've been reaching out to all of our staff members and making um, contact. Initially, we had challenges like everybody did, just contacting people due to the devastation. Uh, slowly but surely, we've been accounting for all of our uh, employees. Um, and at this point, what we're doing is trying to have what we call rebalance kind of the load based on the predictability and sustainability of our staffing. Um, but all of our facilities are operating at you know, 50% or more capacity, uh, Cape and Lee have been operating at full capacity, uh, post the storm. And then, uh, because Gulf coast and health park medical center and Golisano children's just came on yesterday. They're in the process of, uh, reestablishing a census. Um, does Lee health have sort of a disaster team that, you know, works on being ready for things like this? And, you know, maybe it was informed by what you guys went through from Irma. Uh, yeah, there's a whole process inside the hospital called Hospital Incident Command System, um, which coordinates with the county uh, EOC. And so there's a whole 
process that's outlined for uh, disaster um, relief and management, be it a hurricane or any other type of disaster. Dr. Scott Nygaard is Chief Operating Officer at Lee Health. Dr. Nygaard, thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate it. Thanks. And my best to everyone in our community. If you missed any of today's show, you can always hear our episodes in their entirety on our website, which is wgcu.org slash gcl, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our show today was produced by Pam James, Dana Harpster, and myself. Our director today is Jared Gonzalez. Our social media coordinator is Tara Calligan. For now, thank you for listening. I'm Mike Canary. This is WGCU-FM, Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM. We are in. PR for Southwest Florida.